Take out your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark 13. Mark's gospel is a collection of stories about Jesus where Mark is telling people who Jesus is, what he did, and what he taught. And um, we're in the middle of Mark's gospel, I guess closer to the end, but we're in chapter 13. And this is a pretty detailed chapter, and um, it's, it's somewhat complex, and we're going to have to take it in parts, of course. And so I'm going to read the first 13 verses. This is part one, maybe of two or three sermons, maybe four on, on this chapter, because it is complex, like I said. But let's start with verses 1 through 13, and first let's pray and ask God's help. Lord, your word is not the word of man. It's not the product of minds of people, but it's from you, O Lord, and tonight we definitely need your help again, paying attention to the teaching of Jesus, and we need you, please, to open our hearts again to receive this truth, enlighten our minds with this truth, too. In Jesus' name, amen. So just one quick note, the disciples and Jesus were just in the temple in Jerusalem uh, around 33 AD, and then this story happens. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over... Do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in the hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we'll stop there in that part of Jesus' teaching. I'm not sure how often you you guys use the phrase, or use a phrase that has the word forewarned in it, but I think you know what it means. Let's say you go over to a friend's house, and and she made some enchiladas, or a different friend's house, and he made some curry, and it's, these things are super spicy, like, you know, 10 out of 10 on the spice scale, Um, and you're gonna, you're about to fill your plate with these things, and your friend who made it says something like, it's really spicy, like, like, really spicy. 
you know, don't take so much. You've been forewarned. You would understand what he means by that. You've got to go easy uh, because he's giving you a heads up. It's really spicy. Now, that's one thing that Jesus is doing in this teaching in Mark chapter 13. He's giving his disciples a forewarning, a heads up on what to expect in the future. He's not giving us in in chapter 13 all the details about the future for our uh, info. He's just giving us some generals to say, heads up, this is what's going to happen. Now, Mark 13, like I already said, is a complex chapter. You can also read the same or similar teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And this is what has been called the Olivet Discourse, the teaching Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. And so, even though we we probably won't be able to understand everything perfectly in chapter 13, I think after we go through it, we'll get a basic understanding of what Jesus is teaching here that will be helpful for us, uh, for those who are disciples. So keep your ears open, keep your thinking caps on, and we're going to learn about what Jesus taught about the future. And for tonight, like I said, we're just going to go through verse 13 um, for the first part. Okay, well, let's look at the first beginning of the story here. You guys understand that. Jesus is coming out of the temple, and his disciples are looking at the temple in Jerusalem, and they're amazed by it. Um, Let me give you a super brief temple history. The first temple was built... uh, Long ago, in you know, about 900 B.C., give or take, by Solomon, that temple got destroyed in 587. And the second temple, or the, the rebuilding of the temple, happened from 518 to 20 B.C. So the temple that the disciples were talking about was the second temple or the rebuilt temple that Herod rebuilt right before Jesus' day. It's not Solomon's temple, it's a rebuilt one, but they still call it the temple because it was the rebuilt one. So the disciples are amazed at the craftsmanship of the temple. I don't think they had what you call the seven wonders of the world back then, but if they did, this would be one of the seven wonders of the world. It was made and crafted with huge stones, and people from all around would know the beauty and the majesty of the temple in Jerusalem. We kind of have this sometimes. I don't know if you've gone to a historical site that's amazing. Um, It kind of blows you away at the craftsmanship of it all. When Lisa and I hiked around Mount Hood, we stopped at the Timberline Lodge, which was built in 1938. And I won't give you all the details, but it's one of those buildings that just, just amazes you. It's 40,000 square feet. The, the huge stone chimney at the Timberline Lodge is 800,000 pounds. And the weather vane on top was 750 pounds by itself. You'd go in there and there's all mosaic tiles in the floor and all the flights of steps are, have intricate wood carvings on them. And if you look back, if you're outside of the Timberline Lodge and you look at it, the, the roof line kind of mimics Mount Hood. It's, it's an amazing uh, structure. And, then, and you go in it and you can't help but be amazed. You've probably had that for some different structures. That's what the disciples were thinking when they were leaving the temple. They were blown away at the craftsmanship. It was a beautiful, magnificent building. And then Jesus reigns on their parade. (laughs) What did he say? Look, or no, I'm sorry. He said in verse 2, do you see these great buildings? They're they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be toppled. Now, if you're a Jew in the first century there listening, Peter or James or whoever, um, to say that the temple would be destroyed would be a shocking thing. 
that would shock them more than just about anything else you could tell them. It would be like telling a Londoner, Londoner that Buckingham Palace is, is going to burn down. Or like telling a devout Roman Catholic that the Vatican is going to be wiped out in an earthquake. That, that would shake them to the core to hear something like that. So for a Jewish person back then, to hear that the temple would be destroyed is something like the end of the world. The worst thing that could happen. And, and you, you would probably guess that the disciples by this point would take Jesus' teaching seriously, right? They had been with him at least for a couple years. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his brilliant teaching. And by this time, they're not going to say, uh, Jesus is some kind of a wacko. They're going to believe him because they've seen him do miracles and they know his word is true. Now, one thing to think about here is if you read the stories of Mark before chapter 13, Jesus has already been hinting that, that judgment is coming on these unbelieving Jewish people and especially the Jewish leaders. Remember the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees? They are rejecting the Messiah of God, and so judgment is coming. Remember the parable of the vineyard, or the cursing of the fig tree, or the cleansing of the temple? These are prophetic things that are saying the temple is coming to an end because God is judging these people. Same thing happened in the Old Testament. A prophet like Jeremiah told the Israelites that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed if you keep sinning. And surely, sure enough, it was. So, so we get the beginning of the story. And it stuck in the disciples' minds so much that you can, in verse 3, a little bit later, maybe in the day, um, Jesus is teaching, and four of his disciples are still thinking about it, about this temple being destroyed. Um, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, look at the question that they asked in verse 4. They're, it's private now. You know, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? That's the first question. And what's a sign going to be of, of this? That's the second question. When and what's the sign? Now, in Matthew 24, it says the disciples also ask questions about the end of the world and Christ's return. So here's what's key for Mark 13, is in the disciples' mind, the destruction of the temple had to be the end of the world. You know, when the Messiah was going to come again at the last day. They think that all these things that are going to happen have to do with the end, the temple coming, you know, just being destroyed and Jesus returning. But we're going to see in chapter 13, the way that Jesus answers their question shows us that these things don't all happen at the same time. The temple doesn't, destruction does not happen the same time when the Messiah returns. So they're thinking it's all one. But Jesus is going to say, no, there's a couple events spread out more through history. And that's why Mark 13 is a tough chapter. Because it does talk about Jesus' return on the last day, the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. That's definitely the last day. But it also talks about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, about 40 years after Jesus taught this. So Jesus is talking about different events, even though the disciples might think about one. The hard part about it is, which part of chapter 13 has to do with the destruction of the temple? And which part of chapter 13 has to do with Jesus' return at the end of time? Jesus answers both these questions in one chapter. It's a tough passage. Now, there's, 
a couple things I want to, a couple ways to read it that'll help us. First of all, and you guys probably know this, Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you want to understand Mark 13 and, and this discourse, you have to go to other Scripture to help make heads or tails if you can't understand it. Revelation, a lot of things in Revelation are similar to, to um, Mark 13. And some of the Old Testament prophets say things that are similar. Another thing to remember, this is key for pro- prophetical language in the Bible, is apocalyptic or prophetic language doesn't always happen or isn't always given in chronological order. So if we're not prophets, but maybe a silly illustration, if, if I was a prophet, you know, I would give a, a future prediction of A, B, C, D, E. That's how it's going to happen, right, in chronological order. But often this kind of prophecy in Scripture doesn't go A, B, C, D in chronological order. It goes A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C. And it kind of goes in circles. It's called recapitulation. All that to say is when you read prophecies in scriptures, you can't always say it's all chronological because sometimes it goes in circles. You can see that in Revelation, for example. Remember that when we read through Mark 13. So scripture interprets scripture. Prophecy is kind of circular. It comes back and says the same thing again from a different angle. It's called recapitulation. And the third thing to remember is sometimes in biblical prophecy, there's double fulfillment. Double fulfillment. Do you remember when God told David that his son was going to reign on the throne forever? Or, you know, in a peaceful kingdom? In one way, Solomon fulfilled that, right? Partial fulfillment. But ultimately, Jesus fulfilled that. So in prophecy like this, there can be double fulfillment. You know, it's kind of fulfilled, but then ultimately later fulfilled. That helps you read Mark 13. So tonight, keeping those things in mind, other scriptures... The, the, you know, kind of the circular nature of prophetic language and double fulfillment. We're going to just go through verse 13 tonight and learn Jesus' teaching about the signs of the times. Okay, so keep your thinking caps on for just a little bit here. Verse um, 5, Jesus starts to answer their question. Remember, when will these things be? What's the sign? You know, when is Jesus, when is the Messiah coming? So Jesus first says, make sure that no one leads you astray because a lot of people are going to come in my name and say, I am. That's how the Greek goes. I am he. I'm the Messiah. And these false messiahs are going to lead many people astray. They're going to deceive many. That's one sign of the end. Now, I'm going to show you about this recapitulation, how you know prophecy comes back to itself. Look in verse 21 through 23. It's the same thing. Jesus said, or Jesus said, if anyone tells you, look, there's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it, false Christ, false prophets will arise. So Jesus comes back around to the same topic later. So this is one thing to think about. Jesus says, you know, before the end, there's going to be false or pseudo-messiahs, false prophets coming to do amazing things, trying to lead God's elect astray, as he says later. Revelation talks about false prophets, like Jezebel, Revelation 2. And so Jesus says, these false prophets will arise, so keep your eyes open and don't be deceived. A lot of people will follow them, but you guys be on your guard. Don't follow the masses. Now, isn't that truth of false Christ and false prophets something that we can say of the whole history between Jesus' first coming and 
the end. Not long after Jesus said this, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, a lot of these guys, when they were taking the gospel you know, around, they would run into false prophets. For example, Acts 13 talks about a false prophet named um, uh, Bar-Jesus, son of, of, of Greek, or a Jewish man named Jesus. They saw false prophets even in their own day. And John even warned, don't believe every spirit. There are many false prophets in the world. And so I actually have an article. I was reading this. What, what are different false messiahs that have come in history? That'd be an interesting book, but maybe not very uplifting. Um, but a couple that I read in, in 529 AD. So, so in the early church, there were false prophets. In Acts, you can read. But fast forward. In 529, there was a, a Jewish man named Julian. And the Jews said he was the Messiah, and they made him king. Of course, he wasn't, but he said he was. And in the 12th century, fast forward a lot, in the 12th century, there was an Arabian man who said he was the Messiah. And he was, you know, he was going around proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, and he told his people who captured him, if you cut off my head, I'll come back to life. They did, and he didn't. <laughs> and in the modern times, do you guys know any history of people who have said they're the Messiah? There's actually a woman in the 18th century United States, Anne Lee, said she was the female incarnation of Christ. William Davies, who actually lived um, in Washington, this was uh, around 1900, but he lived sort of where my family lived in Washington, Walla Walla. Um, this man named William Davies said that he was the Archangel Michael, and that when his son was born, he said his son was the reincarnated Christ. Or Krishna Venta in the 20th century, it was the WKFL cult. He said he was the Messiah, and he died after being suicide bombed by two members of the cult. It's, it's, there's crazy stories about people who have called themselves the Messiah. Maybe, maybe Jim Jones rings a bell and, and other names that you've heard. So all that to say, if you go through history, you can see that Jesus' uh, prophecy is correct, isn't it? There have been people who have said they are the Messiah. Prophets, they say. Now, typically, I'm guessing, I don't know all of you perfectly well, but I'm guessing that most of you here, you think it's crazy when someone says, I'm the Messiah, follow me. right? You know, all the people that I just mentioned, in your head you're thinking, those guys were crazy. They had a mental problem, and I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, you have to have something wrong with your head and your heart to say you're the Messiah. But Satan is behind it, too. And it does have to do, other places in the Bible talk about the forces of darkness and spiritual warfare. And we also might think then, okay, the guy's crazy, that's true, and, and Satan's behind it. But we also might think, I would never follow a crazy person like that who said they were the Messiah or a, a great prophet. Now again, I don't think you would. I do know you well enough that if some guy would say he's the Messiah, you'd be like, no. But Jesus did warn us in this chapter a couple of times not to be led astray. Because some false prophets and pseudo-messiahs can be pretty convincing. And they can say things that tug at your mind and your heart. They might even say some good things about God and good things about the country and good things about morals or whatever. Maybe they'll say something political that you really like. And these false messiahs and false prophets, they're experts at manipulation. 
A popular manipulation tactic today is playing on fear. These false prophets, maybe they'll make people afraid of of something and they'll say, I can protect you from it if you do this for me. And Jesus says they'll have lots of followers. Verse 6, they'll lead many astray. We we know how that goes, right? Social media, news, crowds, conferences. And and Jesus even says later in this chapter that they're going to do amazing things like miracles. So they do convince people to follow them, and many follow. But Jesus says, no. Don't you. Don't be deceived. There are false messiahs and false prophets leading people to destruction with sweet-sounding lies and dark deception. That's why you can say Jesus. That's, that's why you can understand when Jesus says, "Don't be led astray. Keep your guard up. Don't follow the crowds. Don't believe everything that you hear. Use discernment." And when you think about this, just just since we're talking about it, since Jesus talks about it, um, so so don't be deceived, right? Keep keep your 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 thinking caps on when you're when you're living in this world as Christians. And the best way to avoid being deceived by imposters is to know the real thing. In other words, if you want to know whether someone's a false prophet or false messiah or not, compare that one to the real thing, to Jesus. If you know Christ, if you know his voice, if you know his teaching, if you know Jesus' personality in the stories in the Bible, you're not going to fall for a false prophet or messiah. So, so one example, I'll give you one or two, but so maybe this person rises up and he says he's the messiah and he says, arm yourselves and fight for me. You would think with your Christian mind, uh, Jesus would never say that. Put your sword down, Peter, is what Jesus says. Or maybe someone claims to be the Messiah or this great prophet from God and he has five wives and two mistresses and you think Jesus would never do that because you know the true Christ and you won't be deceived by imposters. So that's one of the signs of the end. False Christ, false prophets. Okay, let's look at the next sign or signs. Verse 7. Jesus says to us, when, when you guys hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. It must take place, but the end is not yet. And he says, nation is going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Isaiah 19 prophesies of that. Revelation 6 talks about wars. And if you think about it, in Jesus' day, in the first century, Rome was not like this perfectly peaceful nation, was it? If you were a Jew living in the Roman Empire back then, it was a very tenuous situation. Jews would have some fear and tension about being under the Roman rule. They didn't like it because Rome was not this great peaceful nation. And what did Rome later do to Christians? There was some legalized persecution in some areas of Rome after some years after Jesus said this. Rome was not this peaceful place. There was wars, violence, Rumors of wars. And once again, isn't this the story of history? Just like there have been false messiahs and false prophets throughout history from Jesus' first coming until the end, so there's wars, rumors of wars, even civil wars. And Jesus says, you know, these things are going to take place, but it doesn't mean the end is here. 
That doesn't mean the final day of judgment and Christ's return has come. It just means that Jesus is, that the end of time is coming in the future. So I think one thing to think about these signs is, Jesus says it here too. He says, um, this is not the end yet. I mean, they, they tell you the end is coming. But when all these wars and rumors of wars and so on happen, it doesn't mean it's the end. Uh, maybe an illustration would help. Um, in Iowa, I don't know if they have it on country roads here, but in Iowa country roads, before a stop sign, um, they have these rumble strips. I don't know if you've been over those before. So I actually looked it up. At 300 feet and at 250 feet and at 200 feet, there are, there are rumble strips to tell you when you're driving that a stop sign's coming. Maybe you've been on that. You know what it means. When you hit the rumble strips, it doesn't mean the stop sign's there, does it? just means it's coming. That's what these signs are. When there's wars and rumors of wars, it, Jesus said, the end is not here, but, but it is coming. All right, there's other signs. Let's move on. The end of verse 8 or middle there, it says, earthquakes, there'll be earthquakes in various places and famines, and these are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus doesn't say how bad the famines or earthquakes are or how many there will be. Just here and there, now and then, there'll be earthquakes and famines. And once again, this happens throughout history. Remember there was a famine in the early church? You can read about it in Acts 11 after this story. There have been earthquakes and famines in the world since Jesus' day. And Jesus, again, says they're not the end, but they're the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains, you know, has to do with um, suffering and, and trial. And in the Old Testament, birth pains have to do with God's judgments, like in Isaiah 13, anguish and pain. Jesus says there's more to come, though. They're just the beginning. Okay, well, one of the last signs here is this last paragraph. I won't go into super great detail, but in verse 9, Jesus says, Be on your guard, because they're going to deliver over you to councils. You're going to be beaten in synagogues, and you're going to stand before rulers for my sake. And in verse 13, he says, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. So here's persecution, in other words. So, so you see these signs uh, of, of the end. Um, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, false prophets and messiahs, and persecution. And you know, when Jesus taught this about being delivered up and beaten and standing before governors, it's just what happened to him, Right? He was given over to uh, the the rulers and the governors, and he stood before them, and Jesus was beaten, and Jesus was executed and and killed, of course. We know that's the good news, the gospel, right? That through his death we receive life. But Jesus is saying that pattern is the pattern of Christians quite often. Revelation also talks about this kind of persecution. It's not random evil when believers face persecution. It's just how it is in a hostile world. And so Jesus said, the disciples are going to be put on trial to bear witness of me. Verse 9. So here's one of those, it's not really a paradox, but it seems like a paradox. You're put on trial for your faith, you know, like Paul was. There's a good example, Paul in the New Testament. You're put on trial for your faith, and that's the opportunity to share the gospel. 
And, and again, you can see that in Paul's life. How many times was he in custody and prison and on trial? And at that time, he shared the gospel. And so that's one of the hard but real truths of history, that often in persecution, the gospel spreads. The gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. That's what Jesus says here. That's one of those signs. The gospel is going to go out. Persecution can't stop it. Before the end comes, the gospel we proclaim to all the nations. And then Jesus talks about, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will guide you. Um, We won't go into all the details there, but that's a promise that God is not going to um, abandon his people when they're on trial, but he'll bless them and help them through it, even if they do face death. And one other verse to look at is, brother will deliver brother over to death. This is verse 12. Brother will deliver brother to death, a father is child, and children rise against parents, and so on. This is probably persecution as well. People are hated for Jesus' sake. That's what he says here. And we know this too. Sometimes when someone becomes a Christian, maybe not necessarily in our country, but when you become a Christian in another country, your family can disown you. And if it's illegal to be a Christian in that context, sometimes your family will even turn you in and you'll get put in prison and maybe to death. So this has to do with persecution. So, so once again, this is just part of Jesus' teaching for tonight. This, I think, is a good place to stop at, at verse 13. Um, later on, Jesus, in this chapter, Jesus says, no one knows when he's going to return. Only the Father knows the day of Jesus' return. But Jesus, in his goodness, is giving us these um, forewarnings. Before the end comes, this will happen. False messiahs, wars, earthquakes, persecution, the temple will be destroyed. And think about the original readers hearing this. Okay, so you're back in whenever Mark wrote, I think, I'm not sure, I think 60, 80 or so. You're you're thinking as a a Christian, man, there's wars and there's famines and there's earthquakes and, and there's these crazy people going around saying they're Jesus. What's going on? I mean, when I became a Christian and started following Jesus, I mean, what does that mean, all this stuff going on in the world? You might get worried if you're a believer and seeing all these things. Things are out of control. What's happening? But Jesus says, no, no, don't, don't, don't worry. These things are in God's sovereign plan of history. They're signs and reminders that Jesus is coming again. And so that's why he says, watch out, keep your eyes open, and don't be worried, don't be anxious. Don't let people deceive you. Keep your eyes on Jesus, even through all these trials. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars and famines and false messiahs, don't freak out. I've told you this would happen. Don't be surprised. Keep a level head. Don't get caught with this apocalyptic craziness or weird speculations. Just stay steady and keep your eyes on Jesus. When I was uh, in the military, it was uh, 2002, I believe, and we were in Michigan. And this was, well, actually, it was just the end of 2001 or in the middle of 2001. Right after 9 11 happened, um, there was a sergeant in our unit that like, went crazy. I don't know if I told you the story before. After 9-11 happened, maybe six months after units starting to be um, activated, she just started calling everyone in the unit, freaking out, and you've got to pack your bags because we're going to war. And it wasn't even true. And I thought later, I'm like, calm down. <laughs> just keep a level head. 
That's what Jesus is calling us here to. These signs will come. It's not going to be awesome. But remember, Jesus gave us a forewarning. And remember this great word at the end. Jesus says in verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's not talking about salvation by works. He's calling people to persevere in their faith. It's like other places in Scripture, right? James 1 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So just grind through the trials as a Christian. Press on in perseverance. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep a level head. And you'll be all right. You'll come out just fine. Persevere. And I'll end tonight with a reminder of how God preserves us. This is a promise, too, when you think about all this. 1 Corinthians 1. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus returns. He will keep you strong to the end. Amen. Let's pray.